Hi everyone and welcome to another Firms Consulting Podcast. So today's podcast is going to be controversial, I'll tell you that right now, because I'm going to weigh into a racial topic and I'm not going to tell you what I think is happening, but I want to point out some considerations. So I published a piece some time back about um, you know how my career developed and it encouraged a reader to write to me, someone who is in Atlanta, Georgia, who I don't know personally, but I've interacted with by mail a few times. But anyway, the person sent me a mail a few weeks back, and I was thinking about how to respond to this because I wanted to be sure of the response I sent. And he said that, Michael, I had a recent... Uh, I'm going to read out his mail, basically, just to paraphrase. But anyway, Michael had a recent incident whereby I went to see the career counselor at my university, and I'm not going to name the university, and um, we had a good discussion, and I thought the person was, you know, really helpful towards trying to understand my background because I come from a broken family. Um, my father is an alcoholic. My mother was an alcoholic. First person in my family to go to university. But I was doing fairly well. You know, it's not as if I was a bad student. I'm averaging a 3.9 GPA. Um, although in the last two years, I have struggled a little bit and my GPA has fallen a little bit to about 3.7. But I feel confident I can bring it up. So anyway, what happened is I had this very good conversation with this lady. Um, anyway, I'm removing her name. And when I, when the meeting ended, because of the way the, the, the her office is set up, um, she she we we shook hands and she and she said that um, you know she'll see me again in two weeks to see how I'm doing and she was very encouraging and I felt very hopeful, so I left the room, and she left the room as well. But I had left some of my stuff, I left some of my books on a table and I forgot about it. So while I was leaving the office. I, I remembered that I had forgotten the stuff, so I came back into our office and I wanted to pick up my books. And when I came back to the office, I overheard her speaking to someone in the next office because, you know, it's a university building and the rooms are not well um, uh, insulated. Uh, she made the comments around the fact that, you know, um, she doesn't know why I'm trying so hard because, you know, she made the comment around the fact that, you know, black students are not as smart as, you know, Asian students and so on, and I'm a little bit dumb for trying to do what I'm trying to do. So, I was very disappointed when this happened, very confused. I didn't speak to her about it because I, I, I didn't know how to do it. I mean, it didn't seem my place to create an incident and to confront her. You know, first, I had overheard this. I wasn't supposed to hear it. I don't know what my rights are around this. But I think my, my most important question here is, I'm not writing to know what my rights are, but, you know, everywhere I go and everywhere I read and every option available to me, it's assumed that I shouldn't be at university and it is assumed that I'm not going to make it in management consulting and even in investment banking, it's just assumed I've taken the wrong path by getting an education and trying to be someone of, you know, stature in the world. So my question to you is that, is the color of my skin going to determine how successful I am in the long term? You know, AKM, AKA, am I dumb because I am black? So I've, so that's the email. I've left out some things because I don't want to identify the person. And I thought very carefully about how to respond to this because for those of you who know us, we do take a very liberal stance on things. I mean, we support liberal issues around the world. Um, you know, and 
by responding to this podcast, I think a lot of people would assume just by responding we're going to take a liberal stance on this. But I'm going to take a very different stance on this. I'm going to not comment on what that particular lady said, but I'm going to comment on some of the things that, some of the, the erroneous factual data presented and believed by people who think that the color of your skin determines how intelligent you are. And I haven't read out the whole letter because it's quite a long letter, some parts are personal, but I'm going to cherry pick things in there that were mentioned by this um, reader. And I want to explain in this podcast why I think he is incorrect in some of the things he's thinking and how I think you should approach this irrespective of the color of your skin. No matter what color of skin you are, you're going to face racism at some point. So let's not th- see this as a black versus other uh, races podcast, but let's see this as if at some point in your life you face racial discrimination, how do you deal with it? So let's just cherry pick some of the comments he made and let's work on it. Right. So one of the comments he's made, which because the letter is so long, I haven't mentioned it, but he mentioned that you know every book I read shows me that Africans finish at the bottom of educational tests. So 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 surely there must be something here. Or am I just missing the point? Am I trying to do something that I am not cut out to? And I thought about this very carefully right now. I'm a management consultant that I spend my whole life analyzing data. And I looked at some of these tests, right? There's all these tests run every year whereby, you know, they trumpet up the fact that Singapore finished number one, South Korea beat Japan, and Finland's educational system trumped the United States. And then of course they are the African schools that are registered and in the test like South Africa and Nigeria finishing at the bottom. And I think that the first thing I'm going to say is that the tests are not really measuring the performance of an ethnic group. They are performing they are measuring the performance of a location group. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that in a if you took the entire world and you shook it so that everyone became completely mixed up. That means that you you shook the world and everyone got separated around the world so that in Japan there wasn't like 99% Japanese, but there was an equal percentage of Chinese, Japanese, and so on. So the world became mixed up, perfectly mixed up, right? If the world was perfectly mixed up and those tests were run, right? I would then expect that if Africans were not that smart intelligent-wise, they would perform bad irrespective of the country they were in when they wrote the test. But that wouldn't happen. To a large extent, the performance of the African countries in those tests are because of the contextual issues they face, poor schools, poor upbringing, and so on. So it's the location issues. If you, irrespective of your ethnicity, if you went to some of the places in Africa and you went through that educational system, no matter how smart you may be, the location issues are going to play a role. So when these tests are telling you that, you know, South Korea is doing better. Look, I'm not saying South Korean students are not intelligent. Of course, they probably work quite hard. But what I am saying is that they have the resources to leverage if they are working hard. And if you are in Africa and you don't have those resources, no matter how hard you work, you are going to underperform. If you think this is something I'm making up, 
Um, there's a very famous article written by Krishna Palapu and Jayant Sinha from McKinsey and Harvard, where they talk about institutional voids. And they say that in emerging economies, institutional voids are expect are things we take for granted in the West that don't exist in emerging economies. And because they don't exist, they impede the human capital of those locations to to reach their full potential and they've then drew a correlation with companies where they prevent companies from reaching their full potential because companies have to spend money to fill those institutional voids. So when you read these tests it's not a judgment on African people it's a judgment on the lack of the systems and processes Africa has and in time the same way Asia improved the same way Europe improved Africa will improve as well right so I don't want you to read too much into these things because they mean nothing now this other thing you know this other comment you made about the 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 breakdown of the ethnic groups in your school i think you want to be careful about that as well i think that if you look at the 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 trajectory of how the different ethnic groups have tended to dominate predominate post dominate american institutions you know in the 1950s, there were a lot of Caucasians in American universities because of the quota system America had in place. You know, if you were from Asia, you, there wasn't many Asians allowed to study at American universities. At, at, in fact, throughout American history, there was a propensity for certain ethnic groups or nationalities to be favored in the quota system. It was first certain types of Europeans, then another type of European. And then towards the 1950s and 1960s, more quotas were allocated to Indians and Asians and so on, and they started to dominate the, the university system. Now, I'm not saying that that is the only reason Asians and Indians are successful, but what I'm saying is that until you have the same quota system open to everyone, you won't know. Right. The third point I want to make here is very important. I pointed out two ways to look at the data, and the data is not what you think is there, right? The third thing to look at is certain cultures place an emphasis on education. It's a fact. They just say, okay, if you want to be someone in life, you have to get an education, right? And you go out and you get an education. Now, the analogy I'm making here is that let's assume you went in to write a test and you wanted to fail. If you fail, is it considered failure or is it considered success? So the analogy I'm making here is that if you come from a culture that due to the way the values and the system is set up, they are not heavily emphasizing education, which is why not many of those ethnic groups are at universities, are we to say they're a failure or that they've just decided to deprioritize education? I think to some extent we, we are seeing that, right? So think about that as well, because there are certain ethnic groups in the world, in Africa and so on, where education is not a priority right now, but that may change in time. Whether or not education being a priority or not is an issue is not something I'm going to comment in. But I am saying that different cultures have different priorities. Whether or not one priority is more important than the other is not important, right? The point is you do have different priorities. It doesn't matter which one is right or wrong. It's not for me to make that judgment. What I am saying is that that's the way it is. Now, on those three counterintuitive ways of looking at the facts, and they are counterintuitive and they are right, right? The first one is that certain regions and certain ethnic groups do bad not because they are just inferior but because they have 
limited resources. Second, certain groups will predominate ed educational institutions because of quota systems and quota preferences. And third, certain groups will dominate because of cultural differences. Again, it's not about superiority. I'm not talking about the tiger mum kind of nonsense because that lady doesn't know what she's talking about. Every culture goes through its own pace of development. Just because some develop earlier doesn't make it better. You know, there is a case for being second to market, right? So those are the, the kind of broad issues. Now I want to talk about you specifically. I think that I can understand the way you feel to a certain extent. Um, you know, you, you trust someone, you, you're struggling, as you mentioned, a little, but not badly. I mean, you go to a very good school, um, outstanding, you know, alumni base, 3.9 GPA so far. You actually dropped to 3.7, but, you know, based on everything you've shown me in the letter and your transcripts and so on, I think you can bring it up to 3.9 by the time you graduate, just to have enough time. But I think that you've you've reached a stage whereby you have done very well, but you don't have a role model. So what you're doing is you are going to the counselor and hoping that she can do two things. She can, in some ways, role model the behaviors you are looking for. And second, she can... What's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, She can validate your opinions. So... You have these opinions about what your future is going to look like. You're not sure if it's right. So you say, hmm, I'm not sure if this is right. So let me go to someone who I trust and who I know is you know, quite well-read and knows a lot. And let's see if she can validate my opinion. So in, in a manner of speaking, you are outsourcing your accountability. And you must never do that. What you need to do is this. When you set up your advisory network, which is what you seem to be doing now, by reaching out to me and by reaching out to the career council, I'm sure you, in the letter you mentioned a few other people you've reached out to, which is good, I'd continue to do that. But I think you're reaching out to them for the wrong reasons. Your advisory network is not there to tell you what is possible. Listen to that again. Your advisory network is not there to tell you what is possible. Because the advisory network, whether you like it or not, is shaped by media perception. If you see... You know, every single movie you see in the press today shows you that black people are not doing well. They're on crack cocaine and they run it, live in the projects and they have no future. Whether people like to admit it or not, they're shaped by those media biases and they are preconditioned to see you in a certain way because of what they've seen in the media. It's not their fault, it is the way things operate, which is why there are so many advocacy, advocacy groups asking that the way black people are portrayed in the media needs to change. And I mean, as I said, I'm using black people here, but I'll refer to any ethnic group that way, right? Because every ethnic group is stereotyped. So don't use your advisory network to find out what is possible. Use your advisory network to tell you how to achieve what you've decided you want to achieve. And that's a different objective, right? So you need to say, okay, what is my ambition? What do I want to achieve? And this is where I want to be in two years, three years, four years, five years, ten years. Then say, who do I need to connect to who's going to help me get there? What you're doing is you're saying, okay, I don't know where I want to go. Let me reach out to some people and they're going to tell me where I'm going to get to. They're going to tell me if it's possible. Advisors are not there to tell you what is possible. 
Advisors are there to tell you how to get what you want. If you surround yourself with advisors who are going to tell you what is possible, your advisor cannot know you as well as you know yourself. Your advisor cannot have the ambitions you have. Your advisor is not as vested in your progress as you should be. And frankly, your advisor, as I've mentioned before, is tainted by numerous stereotypes, right? Because your advisor works in best practice. And let's be honest, the best practice for getting black people into corporate America and into the elite of running Fortune 500 companies is not good. So the average which they are going to be used to make the decisions is not an average you want to be applying to the decisions you make in your life, right? So that's the most important thing. Build your advisory network not for telling you what you should do, but by helping you get to where you want to go. That's my first piece of advice for you, specifically to you. The second one is you've got to get over this discussion about race because you are going to face it wherever you go. It's not just going to be a thing you've seen at university. You're going to be in corporate and it's going to be there. You're going to be, you may even make it in corporate. You may even be CEO, right? And I think you could be CEO. Why not? Right? Let's assume you're CEO of a um, Fortune 500 company in 30 years and you, and, you, and you think to yourself, wow, I've overcome all the racial barriers. And then you've got to go do business with a company, your biggest client is from some foreign country which doesn't think much of your background. So the point I'm trying to make is that you're never, gonna, you're never going to pass this kind of, we call it stereotype, but that's actually the wrong word. The fact that we judge people positively or negatively based on the way they look, you're always going to see that. Whether it's your skin color, the way you wear your hair, the way you speak, the language you use, your body language, the way you shake hands, the way you dress, the kind of events you go to, the music you listen to, you're going to be stereotyped quickly. So what you need to do is not see it as something negative. And I suspect that is the case. And I would almost expect you thinking, oh my God, I'm being treated badly because I'm black. I need to act more like the other more popular non-black people on campus. And I'd say don't do that because... You can't hide who you are. It's a source of your strength. It is what makes you who you are. If you change that, not only will you not know how to deploy and build your strength off a real base, after a certain time, you'll almost feel like you're a fake. And, you know, I'm not making this up, but um, Manfred Ketz de Vries, uh, the eminent INSEAD psychiatrist to the CEOs, um, he has a term for this. Um, I, th- I think the term he uses is, it slips my mind, but he's written many papers about it whereby very competent people feel that they are living a lie and they are, and they are not credible about who they are, right? And I think you will fall into that trap. So in the short term, you may be more popular, more accepted if you change your mannerisms, but in the long term, you are going to fool, you're going to feel as if you're fooling people. You're going to feel as if you don't deserve the successes you have and you're going to actually struggle with your identity. So I recommend that you don't do that, right? There is an article where I discuss this on the website. If you look to the one about, you know, from unemployed to the big three, the story about Irina, the, the lady who had like a technical degree in Ukraine, who we, we brought into the United States and got her into McKinsey. Um, 
this concept is 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 in that article. You can search Manfred Catch the Freeze on the website. You can go to the article and read it, but it's covered in a lot of detail about how it affects her and how it will affect you. The third thing I want to make is that, and this is sort of a summary point. I wasn't there, so I don't know what happened, right? But one of the rules we have in management consulting is that we don't know why comments are made. We don't know the context you walked in to... Um, the room you don't know what was said before the comment was made you don't know what was said after you left in the most perverted case for all you know she was maybe reading a letter that sounded a letter of what someone else said that sounded like it was about you now i mean odds of that are quite low but the point is you don't really know the context you don't know why it was said and i would be very careful to judge the career counselor based on that now Everyone I know who passes judgment, another person says, but I know what they said. And I know for a fact that very rarely do we know what the other person says and why they've said it, right? And linked to this, even if the person made these comments, you have to learn to work with her. And it is an opportunity not to make her feel bad, but to show her that you are different and that maybe her impression of you and your ethnic group was misinformed. So our attitude towards us is immediately to cut off the other person, treat them like they got leprosy or something like that, and, you know, alienate them. And I would say that's the wrong attitude. You've got to engage her, you know, help her see things the way you do. And it's far better to get someone who may have that opinion to change their mind than to isolate her and therefore validate the opinion she that she has. Now, whether opinion or not is valid is irrelevant the point is you can't you 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 want to think long term and remember that you want to change the way people think about your ethnic group and that means engaging them building a relationship with them so they can learn more about you but don't cut them off and then finally despite everything i've said you are going to read tons of articles about i mean i remember reading an article recently about why indians are the smartest ethnic group in North America, why the Jews are the smartest group in North America, why Asian Americans are the smartest group in North America. Look, the point is, forget about those things, okay? People will write what, what generates articles. People will write make, makes them feel good about themselves. You know, if I was uh, Jewish, um, I'd be forwarding articles which tell me how great Jewish people are. If I was, I don't know, British, and there was an article about how Brits are the, dumb, are the most brilliant foreign nation in the, U, in the U.S., I'd be forwarding articles about that. People like to forward things that make them feel good about themselves, right? And you shouldn't read anything into that. You are not the sum of the media headlines that are floating through LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. You are your own person. Even if everyone told you you were dumb, that doesn't make you dumb. The worst thing you can do is to live up to the lack of expectations they have of you. Because then you just confirm what they've said. So in summary, think about the way I've interpreted the data points you've presented to me. For every data point you've presented, I can show you why you're interpreting it the way you want to interpret it versus actually what the data is saying. Second, build a team of advisors that is truly going to show you how to get to where you're going to go and are not going to simply tell you where to go. Advisors are not trained for that. I'll never call my lawyer and say, 
um, what should my corporate strategy be? No, I'll call my lawyer and say my corporate strategy is to roll out a business in this area. I believe we have some liability. How do I get around the liability? So my wording is not is there liability? How do I get around it? Right? Important wording. Yeah. If you ask the lawyer what's your liability, you'll, you'll come back and say, well, Michael, you can be sued in a court of law and that's it. But I'm not paying him to tell me what the problem is. I'm paying him to tell me what the solution is. So how do I get around it? It's a mistake we make with every advisory group we set up. We ask them what the problems are, but that's not why we pay them the money. Well, in your case, I hope you're not paying anyone money. But finally, I would say that I think you, you're living in an interesting time, right? There is a lot happening to change the dynamic of not just the United States, everywhere in the world. So so my advice is that you're always going to face obstacles, but they're going to be many opportunities. And I'd encourage you to seize those opportunities. You are very fortunate, and I'm sure you've worked very hard. So forget about the fortunate part, because I'm sure you've earned it. Worked very hard to overcome the differences you've had in your past life, the challenges you've faced with your parents and so on, to go to a very good school, have very good grades, studying a really difficult subject, and you know, if you can finish 3.9, 4.0 by the time you graduate, I think that you are setting yourself up for a really good foundation for the future, and that's what you have to worry about. There, no matter who you are, there are going to be people who think you don't deserve it, but what they think does not, should not determine your self-worth, right? If you have concerns, if you have questions, you're always welcome to comment or send me, a, you know, if it's personal stuff, you can send me a direct email and I'll be more than happy to comment on it. Thank you.